0: Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. When in deep crisis and pain and in deep emotional distress, however that looks in your life, it can be a variety of ways. You could say you're just really going through it. You're just under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. You're deeply hurt. You're mourning. You're grieving uh, or a combination of all the above. When in that condition, listen, jot it down, write it, write it on your hand if you have to, but listen... When those times come in your life don't make an important decision during that time wait
1: this is a messing grade through social media, a blog, or face-to-face at church or in the home, we'll face unfair criticism and accusations. It's about that time that we might feel tempted to give them a taste of their own medicine and lash out in anger, but there's a much better response. Welcome to Abounding Grace and our continuing study in 2 Samuel. Pastor Ed Taylor visits chapter 16
0: today and shows us how to handle the sting of criticism. Chapter 16, as you take your Bibles today, as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, where we find David on his way out of Jerusalem, King David, as his son Absalom has stolen the kingdom away from under him. He usurped the kingdom. Absalom so clearly becomes a type of the devil who likes to be a squatter and take that which doesn't belong to him. And usurp our lives by temptations and all the spiritual things that come our way. You see, Absalom won the hearts of the people through a carefully planned manipulative scheme. And it involved quite a few things like diabolical planning and patience. He was very patient. You know, you think of the diabolical planning of the enemy. The Bible says that we're not ignorant of his devices. And he has schemes that are unique. That's why there will be at times, you know, and it's a prideful thing for us. And we have to watch our hearts. But we'll, we'll see somebody and we'll, we'll watch somebody fall. And then we'll hear the story of how it happened. And we'll just kind of think, well, that would have never, I would have never done that. And there's a very good chance that you may never have done that. Because the temptation that that brother or sister fell into was specifically for them. And it wasn't for you because the devil's a schemer. And so was Absalom. Not only was Absalom a schemer, but he was patient. And so often we find, not only is God patient with us waiting for our repentance, but the devil's patient with us for us to finally make that decision uh, to go against him, or go for him and against the things of the Lord. Not only that, but Absalom was keeping up appearances. And doesn't the Bible tell us that the devil himself can make himself a, an angel of, appear as an angel of light? and have a great deception in which we would be very wise to walk in discernment. Not only that, but Absalom turned David's friends and even his close confidants against him. And if you've ever experienced deep family issues or you've ever experienced maybe a friend uh, turning on you or betraying you, you know the root of that is the devil, man. It's evil. It's not from the Lord. The Bible says in 3 John chapter 1, Verse 9, I wrote to the church, because it reminds me, Absalom reminds me not only of the devil, but also this guy by the name of Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them and does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I'll call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, but forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, don't imitate what is evil. And here, Paul, or excuse me, here John is describing this, this man and associating with evil with this man. And you could do the same thing with Absalom. What he was doing was wrong and evil. And we pick up in chapter 16, where David is leaving, and it says, When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them two hundred loaves of bread, a hundred clusters of raisins, a hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? And so Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine are for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. Now back in chapter 9, we met a man by the name of Mephibosheth. He was the last known at the time, sole surviving relative of King Saul. And David's covenant with Jonathan was to bless the kingdom of Saul, and so he sought out Mephibosheth and asked to meet him. And when he met him, it was, a, it was a great study on the grace of God because everything that you would expect that a king would do in the day was not done. But rather, David extended tremendous grace to this man, took care of him and committed to take care of him the rest of his life and showered love and grace on him. So here David is in a very vulnerable time. He's on his way out, running away, not running away in fear or coward. He's not a coward here. He's, he's running away and leaving in the sense that he doesn't want, he wants to spare the people of Jerusalem a war and death. And his attitude, as we'll see by the time we end this chapter, is that I, you could say that David, if David was here today, he'd say, I believe in the sovereignty of my God. I trust him with my life. That's the story of David. I trust him with my life. Certainly he had his faults and failures along the way, But the banner over David's life is not just that he was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man that trusted God no matter what. Whether he was running from King Saul or now having to leave Jerusalem as the king, as the crowned anointed king because his son has undermined him. And here we meet Ziba as he is coming out. He is Mephibosheth's servant. And he comes out with these gifts. And we need to remember at this time let's read on, and I'll I'll add to this as we go. Verse 3, then the king said, "And, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, here all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Now a couple things that we're going to notice here is, first of all, David is in a very weakened position. And in his weakened position, he's taken advantage of. Because if you didn't recognize this in verse 3, Ziba is lying. David asks, how's Mephibosheth, how's my son? And he's like a son in the faith, how, how, how's he doing, how's your, sir, how's your master doing? And the answer in verse 3 was, he's staying in Jerusalem and he's very happy. Listen, look at what he says. Today, the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father, Saul, to me. My father will be vindicated, and the kingdom's coming back to me. Now, you have to understand, they have a deep, deep relationship here, Mephibosheth. They're deep. They're tight with, with David. David's loved on them. They're, they're encouraging. They've grown up together these years that he's been leading. And what, he, what, what happens? Ziba comes, sees a weakness, sees a personal opportunity to take advantage of it, and he lies. And he tells David in his weakened condition that even after all that he's done for Mephibosheth, at the first opportunity that he had, he's happy that David's gone because his kingdom's coming back to him. Consider it as a significant blow to an already crushed heart. How would you feel? Your best friends betrayed you, your son sold you out, many of your key people your son is the sole source of this. Many of you key people in your cabinet, your, you could say your right hand men, your right hand women in your life, you know, the, the people that you're tight with, the people that you grew up with, the people that you've gone to war with, the people that you've, you've strengthened, the people that you trusted, the people, you know, one of the levels of trust that I always look at is these would you the kind of people you would trust your kids with. These are the ones you'd let watch your kids. That that's how the level of trust, these are the ones that you would, you would let, if they lost their home, you'd bring them into your house right away. You, you would loan them money. You wouldn't even loan it to them. You just give it to them without any question. There's, there's relationship involved here. All of these guys have turned their back on David. David's leaving everything that he knows, and he doesn't know what his future is. And he knows a little bit of what this feels like, because years earlier, he was on the run from King Saul, and he didn't know what his future was there. But on top of all that, blow after blow after blow after blow. Here's a guy with gifts, donkeys to to rest on, and fresh food to take, and wine in case anybody faints. It, It has the appearance of caring, and concern, and love, but it was just flattery. And you know that anyone that is buttering you up is ready to put you in the toaster, man. They're ready to take advantage of you. And here they are. It's flattery, but it's yet, it's needed. When you're down, and when you're discouraged, you're looking for encouragement, you'll take it anywhere. You want to give me a donkey? Give me a donkey. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's cool that you thought of me. And you're looking for encouragement. And when you get it, you're expecting, and there's a genuineness, like, yeah, this is legit. But he's lying. He's lying to David. He doesn't care. And David, what does he do? He equally responds with a bad action being lied to. In verse four, he responds rashly. And he says, well, everything that was Mephibosheth's is now yours. This wasn't some simple comment. This is the king saying, when you go back, everything that your master's, it belongs to you under my authority. It's a very rash decision. He doesn't even check it out. He he just makes an immediate emotional decision, which those of you that have made rash emotional decisions, you're almost always surely to regret them. Which leads me to a reminder for us that whether it speaks to you in your current condition or it's preparing you for the future, it's simply this. When in deep crisis and pain and in deep emotional distress, however that looks in your life, it can be a variety of ways. You could say you're just really going through it. You're just under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. You're deeply hurt. You're mourning. You're grieving. uh, Or a combination of all the above. When in that condition, listen, jot it down, write it, write it on your hand if you have to. But listen, when those times come in your life, don't make an important decision during that time. Wait. When in deep personal crisis, don't make big decisions. You most always will regret a rash emotional Decision. To to illustrate this, let's go back to a passage we've already looked at in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Would you go back with me, 1 Samuel chapter 20? When in deep crisis and pain, don't make any big decisions. Another time in David's life is found here in chapter 20, verse 8. It says, Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there's iniquity in me, "'Kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father?' And Jonathan said, "'Far be it from you, "'for I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you. "'And and then would I not tell you?' And then David said to Jonathan, "'Will you tell me? "'What if your father answers you roughly?' And Jonathan said to David, "'Come and let us go out into the field.' So both of them went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, "'The Lord of God of Israel is witness.'" When I have sounded out my father, sometime tomorrow on the third day, indeed there is a good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety, and the Lord will be with you as he's been with my father. Uh, This drama in David's life is continuing as he's on the run from King Saul, and the pressure and the stress and the difficulties are continuing to rise upon him. So much so that he's beginning to, to, to doubt his own right-hand guy, Jonathan, the guy that he's battled with together. He's not sure whether he's still loyal to him or loyal to his dad, and, and he's concerned. And while he was a man after God's own heart, he was still just a man. And you too are just a man and just a woman. Normal, emotional, fragile. Don't be too hard on yourself over your own weaknesses and your own failures. Don't ignore them. Don't make excuses for them. But don't be so hard on yourself. It's normal to be human. That's what you and I are. And obviously, if there are sin issues in your life, then deal with the sin issues. There's only one remedy, repentance and humility before God. But if it's the normal issues of life, dealing with the reality of life, dealing with added pressure and added stress, and and even, you know, feeling weakened by that, and uncertain of one moment you feel so strong and standing so strong and then a set of circumstances just lays you out and you start to wonder what kind of believer am I? Most likely you're just a normal believer having to deal with the realities of life and the sin-soaked and sin-fallen world. Don't be so hard on yourself. Allow the Lord to use the circumstances in your life to bring humility, to bring dependence. I have to say that my prayer life, and perhaps even yours, isn't so alive until great stress and pressure comes into our lives. But well, we, now we really cry out to the Lord. The night before, we were we were praying, God, thank you for my food. I just hope, i just, just so blessed by this meal you put before me. And then the next night, you're like screaming out with tears in your eyes, God, save me from this. In a deep connection with the God that loves you. If you're beset by humanity and its relevant weaknesses, welcome to the club, the club of normalcy and humanity. Our failures will often, though, you have to be careful because our failures will often lead to temptation of sin, of self-condemnation, which combined with self-exhaustion or emotional exhaustion makes us prone to, be, to making bad decisions. Look at the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 17, that God didn't even send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, God doesn't condemn you. One of the feelings that comes up when you're facing difficulties is either self-condemnation or you might even perceive condemnation from someone else. But in reality, it's just you're overwhelmed. You're overstimulated emotionally. And God is calling you back to himself. He's calling you back to surrender. The pressure and stress can cause us to make unwise decisions. Stress can often lead to suspicion, like David does here with his best friend. And fortunately, Jonathan's very gracious with him. Maybe you're on the other side of that and your friend or your loved one is all under pressure and stress and they're saying weird things or even suspicious of you. You know, follow the pattern of Jonathan. He's like, no, no, no. I'm, a, I'm telling you, I'm gonna tell you the truth. He didn't cop some attitude of defensiveness. Why don't you believe in me? Aren't we best friends? Why? Hey man, I'm just, I'm gonna keep being who I am. I'm gonna talk to my dad. And if he says bad, I'm gonna tell you. And if he says, good, I'm going to tell you. But David, you can trust me. And stress can make us do really dumb things. Emotional exhaustion is often accompanied by weariness. And when you're under deep stress and pressure, be careful with the reality of your emotions. And as I said earlier, my goal is, I know I don't, I'm not always perfect in it, but my goal is not to make big, big decisions. Sometimes not to make any decisions when I'm under great stress or pressure or overwhelmed by whatever's going on in my life. Come back with me now to 2 Samuel because that's where David is. He makes a rash decision. It's a mistake. He's under pressure. He's sad. He's hurt. He's tired. And then, you know, one of the things I see in David is like, when's it going to end for the brother? One after another, after another, after another. And that's exactly what happens here in verse 5. He says Now, when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out, cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And also Shimei said, thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. And what an encouragement Shimei is. But he's been waiting for this opportunity. I don't think he ever expected to get it. But he was mulling over it, mulling over it. And what opportunity? He's he's coming to the king and he's telling, you know what? You're getting what you deserve. And cursing the king, the anointed man of God. You're getting what you deserve. It took a while, but you're getting it. This is the judgment of God. You're just a bloodthirsty man. You're not who you appear to be. And yet another place of difficulty for David. It just doesn't let up for him. As he's along the way and dealing with this hearing, he doesn't know that this is a lie about Mephibosheth yet, so he's having to deal with the emotion of losing another great friend turning on him. He comes to this village in Shimei, part of Saul's family, comes out and starts throwing rocks at David, cussing him out, if you will, shouting, to declaring his self-righteous conclusion that God is paying David back. But he's wrong. And and I would have to say too, there's a warning to us in this, because as we're watching this from the outside, we could easily come to the same conclusion as well. And and I would just say this, you know, be careful when you come to these conclusions with people, because you probably don't have any idea what's going on. You see what you see, but man, only God knows what's really going on. And it's easy for us to jump to false conclusions. As a matter of fact, it's sort of very common for us as believers to jump to false conclusions. And and one of the reasons is is because we deal in the truth. And when we're in the scriptures, we're dealing with the truth. We value the truth. We even defend the truth. But we have to remember, we don't have all the facts. If we were watching this and we didn't know the backstory of all this, we would go, well, what happened to David? Mighty man of God, hand upon him, you know he must have been judged by God because what did he? You know finally it's everything's catching up to him. Saul's catching up to him. Bathsheba's catching up to him, and anything else they could say. All his multiple wives is catching. Everything's catching up to him, but that's not what's happening. Every time he, that David had the opportunity to overthrow Saul, he didn't do it. Every time he had the opportunity to take things into his own hands in terms of going against Saul, he didn't do it. Even to the point where he had him in the cave. And he didn't do it. This man's not telling the truth. He doesn't know the whole story. It's not what happened at all. And then notice verse 9. Abishai jumps in. And he says, The son of Zeruiah, Abishai, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. That's an easy one. Boom. You don't even have to say it. Just, you can do that one with your eyes. You're just like, yeah. But this is another temptation, isn't it? another rash decision right before him with the reality of the motions. And then, I mean, along the way, any of us could have said, man, I would have been done by now. Put a fork in me. I'm done. I'm done. Abishai, take him out. I can't deal with another lot. I just deal with them. <laughs> interesting enough, the question is asked, was he right in doing this, Abishai? Was it the right thing to do? There's actually a couple of scriptures that are interesting to consider, one written before this and one written after. One is in Exodus chapter 22 verse 28 where it says you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of the people. So Abishai, I mean, I don't think he's being righteous here, but he's got some biblical foundation. And then Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 20, don't curse the king, not even in your thoughts. So there is some consideration of this, but even though you could support something biblically or you can make a scripture and turn it into, you know, cutting off somebody's head, you have to understand the heart of God. And the heart of God is demonstrated through David, as he says in verse 10. And the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all of his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more now may this Benjamite, let him alone and let him curse, For so the Lord has ordered him, and it may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him, and cursed him as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up the dust. And now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, and so they refreshed themselves there." You look at this and you think, man, this is kind of rooted in the Old Testament. You get this picture of a dusty road, and you wonder if this even happens today. Do people still follow along cursing and criticizing? Yes or no? They just do it differently, don't they? Something called Facebook, blogs, where you might even be on the other end of something right now where people just aren't letting up on you. Just keep throwing stones at you. Maybe it's in a little more personal thing where... it's a family situation. So you show up at the family reunion and you just just know it's coming. You just know it's coming.
1: Stones and criticism come at us in various forms, but God can help us to handle it all in a Christ-like way. You're listening to Abounding Grace and a message from Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Samuel. And you can request a CD copy for $2 when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. Or look for this message on our website at calvaryaurora.org. There you'll find a wide variety of resources designed to help strengthen your relationship with Christ and grow in God's abounding grace. Again, we're at CalvaryAurora.org. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing Bible teaching to your station every day, and we rely on the support of our listeners to do that. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you the book Radical Prayer by Manny Mill. So call eight seven seven three zero 30 grace so we can get that right out to you. Let me also give you our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460-598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Well, that'll do it for today. Come back next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up what we left off in 2 Samuel here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.